Hello and welcome to the first in our Star Wars 12 Days of Christmas special. Ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Well done for making it away from the family and coming to join us to talk about what really is the spirit of a Christmas uh, season. That is, of course, Star Wars. It's a podcast. We're going to talk about Star Wars. It's what we do at Christmas, isn't it? I mean... It's a question yeah. for you. Is, okay. is Star Wars a Christmas film? Because growing up, I definitely remember Star Wars was one of those films that would find its way onto ITV or Channel 4. So I don't think Star Wars is inherently a Christmas film because they did a Christmas special that was inherently a Christmas film. But I do think that certainly in the UK, we have a predisposition to think of these kind of movies as Christmas movies because it's that weird gap between like the 24th of December and January the where nothing is real time is fluctuating and TV schedules have got to fill it with shit Um, yeah it's this The Great Escape um, Chicken Run yeah Chicken Run that's always on there Um, Bridge Over the River Choir that was was another regular one which which, which is a a weird choice for a film to have over over Christmas and yeah Cats Cats always appeared to be on as well Oh, God, do you think we're going to do the new cats? <laughs> I don't know. It's probably around for terrestrial licensing now. Okay. Let, 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 let us pull this back on, onto topic, onto subject. So, so we, we're here. You, you have roped me into talking about 11 Star Wars films and a as-yet-to-be-undecided 12th episode. Rachel wants to cover all of the television stuff in the last episode. I want to do the holiday special. We'll see how we feel when we get to the end of this. But what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we talking about? What's going on? So the plan is, or the decision, the idea, is uh, it's the 12 days of Star Wars. So each day we are watching a Star Wars film and then talking about it together. So we are probably watching them independently, I feel, um, and then coming together to talk about them now, as we are now. And uh, as per your request, uh, we are doing the de-specialised editions of the original trilogy. Um, And also, as per our previous discussion, we are doing them in release order rather than chronological order order or machete order or any other kind of order uh, which is exciting for me because i don't think i've ever seen the despecialized editions oh so this this is this is your first time uh sampling the og star wars star wars as it were first aired back in uh, 1977 or well, i think it was well, 78 in the uk have, but i whatever. may have seen it <laughs> at the time but i certainly it is not my formative memory of star wars um which is the uh 1997 gold vhs box set version the, 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 the first uh, special edition. So, so uh, special edition, uh, there was lots of CG inserts. You know, they made uh, Moss Eisley seem larger. You had uh, Dubax, uh, you know, there, the infamous Jabba the Hutt scene. And, and of course, um, the, uh, the, the uh, Han versus Greedo, who shot first. Whereas in this version, it's not a case of Han shot first, it's Han shot. Period. Yeah, that was. So I'm. I am. Have always been a believer of hand shot first. Uh, it was right for character development, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, in this version, there's no, there's no question. He just straight out shoots that motherfucker. There's no, there's no conversation there. It just happens. Yeah, Greedo doesn't even get a shot off, which I think is is fair because he's pretty incompetent. So okay, so, so top level, you know, you, you're, you're relatively familiar with Star Wars, and and you know, obviously, Ish, you know, yeah, you, you've grown up with it. You've seen it before, as you said. You know, you grew up with the special editions. What was your feelings coming back and watching? this version of Star Wars, OG Star Wars? Ooh. So for me, I obviously this is my idea, um, but I think we get so hung up on the legacy of Star Wars, on what it all is and everything it has been, will become 
its its canon universal status. I really wanted to go into this and saying see where it all began sounds really contrite. Um but you know this is this is the film that changed the world and it did. It certainly changed media and media production. Um but actually it was just a film and I think that was for me the thing that came across the most watching this is all the stuff that has such relevance now didn't at the time it was just the dialogue or just the the way the film was made um and I found that quite interesting these kind of moments of of importance or grandeur that are now kind of part of our zeitgeist and our uh, cultural history were just bits in a film. I mean, that's the thing. So, so much of the law and the idea of of who like Darth Vader is, who Luke Skywalker is, are based upon what comes later and what comes in in you know the EU and you know all the Disney and all the stuff which comes later. But in this film, it's I, I mean, it really is the pure essence of of Star Wars. You know, I, I, I you know, I've discussed this many times. I have this long standing belief that the, 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 the most Star Warsy of Star Wars films is Revenge of the Sith. Because, you know, I, you know, Star Wars I think at its core is pulpy science fiction. And and I think Revenge of the Sith goes out of its way to be that. But this is pulpy fiction by its very design. And watching this, for the first time in quite a while, going back to the original one, I was just struck by how much of a fantasy film this is rather than science fiction. Absolutely. This is pure fantasy. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I like any uh, nerd, made notes as I went through. And my first top three notes are, this is so fantasy, not science fiction, which I've always known, but... It really struck me watching the the original version, um, how much of a western it is as well, um, particularly the opening uh, scenes. Mm. Um, but how it does a massive—I'm not even saying third act shift, but like final section—turns into a war film. It has a massive tonal shift that I either don't think I've never noticed, or maybe is less less obvious in other versions. But once they leave. Um, once they escape on the Millennium Falcon from from Darth Vader and once Obi-Wan's dead, sorry, spoiler there, um, it really shifts into a war film mm-hmm. and is almost jarringly different to the rest of the movie that you've just watched. You could yeah. have almost ended it with them flying off in the Millennium Falcon having escaped and that would have been an end to the film. I, I almost wonder if that was perhaps the original intent going off of that idea of the the, the Flash Gordon serials because that's what the adventure would be. It would be, you know, boy swept up on an adventure, taken off across the galaxy, goes to the space station, mentor is killed, but they escape with the princess off to the next adventure, tune in next week, same bat time, same bat channel. You know, very famously with, uh, with the final sequence, when George Lucas was showing this to people like Francis Ford Coppola and Steven Spielberg, he was splicing in footage from films like 633 Squadron, The Dam Busters, The Battle of Britain. You know, he, he was aping war films for that final section. But it really is such a massive tonal shift, isn't it? It, it, it just goes from what is a, a fantasy Western adventure with the evil knight in the castle. You've got the evil king in the, in the sense of Tarkin. You've got the good wizard. Merlin uh, in in a Mobi one to all of a sudden it's six one seven squadron flying down across the uh, Rua Valley to attack the dams, and it's jarring. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced 
if this I know we say if this film was made today but in terms of a narrative structure and that kind of thing I'm not sure it would fly in modern cinema in the same way I think it's given a lot of passes um in 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 modern cinema in in current kind of pop culture because it's the start of everything um it's funny you should mention that because I I, I feel in about six or so films will actually be able to have that comparison of if you made that film today. Slight spoiler alert there. But, oh, I mean... Oh, oh but true. <laughs> yeah, but, but the thing is, no, you wouldn't make this film today, but then that's because another thing which I took away from watching this version, the, the original version, is it's also a very 1970s movie in, in how it looks and the, the aesthetics and, and, and things about it. And I've got to tell you, I feel that this has aged better than the special editions. <gasps> yeah, you're probably right. Tell me, tell me I'm wrong, but I mean, obviously, Lucas was constantly tweaking this, and I even think Disney is still tweaking it today. Things like the Jabba the Hutt scene have been tweaked to make Jabba look more like Jabba, and whatever the hell it was the first time it went around there. Uh, and you've got some sequences work really well, like the Millennium Falcon escaping from Mos Eisley, but others... I don't think have aged that well. I'm thinking specifically uh, the Dewbacks and when you first enter into Mos Eisley and, and, and they kind of have this Ronto walk in front of a camera, which is so clearly kind of just Stuck the motor description of the front of it. Yeah. And, and also, you know, that sequence when the X-Wings are approaching the Death Star and they all, you know, lock X-Files and attack positions, you know, all the wings open up. In here... Okay, it's it's a very basic model shot. The the, uh, the X wings are in a line, and the wings all open up, and you know, it, it's fine. It doesn't do much. In the special edition, in the nineties, yeah, that's 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 a dramatic shot, and it's kind of interesting showing the camera swooping in. But that was, I hate to tell you this, people, like thirty five years ago. In in fact, I think more time has passed between now and the special editions coming out than between the special editions and Star Wars. Correct. And that era of CG has not aged well. And, and I think the best comparison, and again, we will get to this in the fullness of time, is when you get to Rogue One. The, the space battle sequences of that are top-notch, absolutely spectacular, zero notes, you know, nigh on perfect. But it's so striking, and I'm more forgiving of, of the stuff in here because it's practical model effects. It, it, it has a, a sense of weight and realness to it, but I don't think that the special editions have interesting you said weight and realness some of my other notes that i've got is everything feels tactile it feels real mm -hmm. um and it looks quite unpolished uh you know the stormtrooper outfits you can kind of see where they've been molded and same with darth vader you know there is not this sleeked polished nature which again culturally is how we think of all stormtroopers and darth vader of that kind of shine and that perfectness and that is definitely not in this film at all um certainly in this edition and uh, for me that is because it's a 1977 mid-budget movie um and a science well science fiction fantasy movie which was just not a thing at the time you think spielberg at the time was making is it close encounters was about the same time yeah mm -hmm. yeah that was science fiction of the time you know this kind of space opera style was very much relegated to cheap b movies and television you know this is i don't think we can ever underestimate what a risk making this film was at the time and how so many people including George Lucas thought this was going to completely fail there was no 
expectation. The only person that had real faith in it was Steven Spielberg. Um, but he did also get it re-edited completely and shifted around. So he saw well, potential. I mean, I mean we'll, 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 we'll never know, uh, you know, uh, authoritatively what the original cut that Spielberg saw would, would have looked like there. But yeah, there's potential. But I, I mean, another takeaway I took from watching this film again is... I don't think the Star Wars universe ever felt as big as it does in this film. I, I think everything that's come afterwards has really made it feel small. Because in this film, you know, the, the talks of galactic senates and old republics and clone wars uh, and the Starfleet, there's something about this film which makes that galaxy feel absolutely massive. And I kind of love the fact we don't know anything about it. Whereas everything which has kind of su come subsequently, which, you know, when we visit the Spice Mines of Kessel and, you know, when we've seen, you know, the Imperial said, it, it's made it feel small, I feel. Well, George Lucas was always very clear that he wanted people to feel like he was joining midway through a story. Um, I'm not convinced he ever had much intention of making the rest of that story or what that story was. But actually, again, trying to think about watching this with quite with fresh eyes or someone that hadn't seen it before, there's a lot of stuff just not explained. Like, oh, yes, I was your father's teacher and we were good friends in this, you know, like random selection of words that again now mean something to us. But we never really explained what a Jedi is in this, you know. Here's my fun laser sword. But nothing is ever really given that context. And you'd never get away with doing that in a film now with being able to say, oh, yes, Intergalactic Senate um, on the Republic. But in this film, they did. And I think you're right. I think that kind of hint that other stuff is out there, but that that lack of showing it really does make it feel vast. It feels like a very, very tiny story in this huge universe. And I think later, I think actually as, a, as the continuity has progressed and the series has progressed, you're right, they have made that smaller. And I think that's particularly true in the sequels that have been made. You know, there is, everything happens to the same group of like half a dozen people and the entire galaxy depends on that half a dozen people and you don't feel that in this you do genuinely feel like luke's kind of been picked up off this planet and he's like well i'm 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 someone in this this rebel army i'm but i'm really here because i want to fly a plane sorry not a plane an x-wing you know he wanted to be a pilot and he gets the opportunity to be a pilot so he's going to go be a pilot and that that to me strikes a lot of uh kind of all-american uh, farm boys going off to to join the war um, and, you know, get involved that way. And, you know, maybe that's a, a, a comment on conscription or, or you know, good propaganda. Well, this, was, this was around the time of the Vietnam War. And, you know, Lu Lucas has often said that Star Wars was pushed back towards that with the uh, with the Empire uh, being a, a proxy for the US and the rebels being, uh, you know, standing for the people of Vietnam. And, and I think and I that think comes can... through more in later mm. films, particularly more so than this one. I think he retro added that to, to A New Hope. Um, I think mm. it's more prevalent. In, well, I assume we haven't watched them yet. TBC. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it, I think it's more or less common knowledge at this point that uh, it's a Vietnam analogy. I think it's common knowledge also that uh, Lucas has retroactively gone back and changed the narrative of Star Wars. I don't just mean in like, tweaking the effects, but his story of how he came up with it, which, you know, it, it is perhaps is right as a creator, but it does mean it's very difficult to kind of 
get to get to a sense of what was you know star wars in its original sense uh, my big takeaway from watching this again is this is a one and done film i mean the film we watched oh, yeah. as we watched we watched for d specialized editions so this isn't episode four a new hope this is star wars there's there's no subheading to underneath it it it, it is you know it, it it starts in the middle of a story as, as is want with uh the, the ship we don't even get the name of a ship here you know it's just a ship under attack mid-battle there's going to be there'll be no escape for the princess this time you know it, it's a masterclass of setting up this world and giving you just enough information so you can come along on the journey without overloading you and, and i think once again you know skipping ahead i think that's a big problem the phantom menace has is it overloads you with exposition very early on trying to set up the world of of here instead of just saying off we go on another adventure well that's modern filmmaking um you know in in filmmaking and in kind of media in general you know the the golden rule is show not tell and this is very much the opposite this is fuck it don't bother showing them just tell them just tell them in a bit of dialogue um and I think the Phantom, yeah, I think the Phantom Menace is a clear example. Well, I assume, haven't seen it in a while. I'm going to watch it in four days. Um, is a clear example of, you're right, how that, how we have changed to do that. See, I'll push back a little bit on the show, not tell. I think Star Wars is actually a masterpiece of show, don't tell. The dialogue you have isn't, it, 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 it's not sitting down and, and doing a lot of, of, of explaining the situation. What it's doing, though, is it's using cultural touchstones that we in the West can easily recognise. In, in the sense of, you know, Darth Vader, he, he's standing there, he, he's, he's isolated from everyone else, he's in a unique costume, it's big, it's black, it's scary, he's got a red lightsaber. All of those things say to us, bad guy. You, you don't really need to know anything else about him just to look at him and say, you're a bad guy. Obi-Wan, when you see him, also, quick sidebar, Obi-Wan Kenobi is wearing what are, I'm guessing, some nondescript desert clothes so he blends into the environment. These aren't the Jedi robes. He's oh just my wearing... God, right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Because Luke's outfit in this is now like the Jedi outfit, but he was a farmer. Mm. Well, I don't think Luke's one is so much, but it's certainly Obi-Wan's one. It, it is... What, what he's wearing there has retroactively become Jedi robes and a Jedi outfit, but he's wearing that there because it's what helps him survive life in the Doom Sea. <laughs> That is okay. That is my biggest pet peeve with Star Wars, and always has been, is the outfits that the heroes are wearing in this movie have, as you say, retroactively become like the the outfits of the Jedi. But Luke's outfit in this is as a farmer, but has that very kind of wrapped top esque mm-hmm. look um, in those colours, and Obi Wan with his big robe. Um, and then all of a sudden in the in the prequels, that's what all the Jedi are wearing. Well, that's very confusing. Is that just the fashion? Have they just not changed their clothes? Is that just what people wore and continue to wear for 30 years? It was the style at the time. <laughs> and yeah, but anyway, you know, I, I, I completely agree. That's it's uh, I, I actually found that quite uh, jarring is the wrong word. But I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's a. Uh, that's just the, the outfits they put them in for this movie. Um, and all of a sudden that is, you know, Jedi Wear 101. Hmm. I felt also the, uh, the Stormtroopers uh, aren't quite the, um, the morons we've come to, to know and love over the subsequent films as well. But there's a, there's a level of menace to them when you see them boarding uh, the ship at the very beginning and, and, and charging around the, ex, uh, the, the Death Star, trying to hunt them down. There's... 
I mean, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of calling back you know, the very name Stormtroopers is kind of harkening back to kind of, you know, Nazi allegedly. But when you see them doing around, it doesn't have that comedy sketch moment in this version where Han and Chewie run around the corner to be confronted by a huge swathe of Stormtroopers and then have to run back. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a much more... They are menacing. Mm. I mean, one of the first things we see Darth Vader do is crush someone's neck until they die. Um, they don't kind of hide their evilness uh, or, the, or what they are. He's, he's a lot more expressive and angry in this as well, which I think works better for who the character's meant to be. He's supposed to be. His voice is really off. Oh, his voice is off, but I think it, I, I quite like the sense that, you know, he's barely in control here because he's a seething pot of anger now and obviously they refine it later on it becomes much more measured and calm and you know just constantly in control but but here you know he's he, he, he's probably angry i also quite like how he's not terrified you know, the other officers are speaking to him as you know you know he, he's certainly you know tarkin's right hand man here but you know they're not kind of going like oh no if i if i blink the wrong way he's going to kill me <laughs> Yeah, he is. He is a cog in a machine. He's he's a he's a big cog, and he's a very terrifying cog. But he is not. He is not some evil overlord of the of the empire. He is a soldier like everyone else, just a higher ranking soldier. I really liked um, uh, Tarkin in in this as well. Just just in the way he delivers his lines. It's it's just amazing. There's just something so sinister about him. It's just his face looks evil. <laughs> I, love it. I mean, this movie's quite grim in lots of ways that we don't really associate with Star Wars anymore. You know, they torture Princess Leia until she gives them some information, and they I, the gravity of blowing up a whole planet. And you know, Darth Vader does literally snap some dude's neck like right at the start of the movie, and that like there's a lot of death and war that doesn't come across in later movies and I'm not sure because I've not done a side-by-side comparison I certainly didn't get that in the specialised editions I felt they lightened it for the specialised edi- the special editions um, whether they did or not whether that's just my memory as a as a you know growing up and everything else but I feel like this is much darker this, this to me feels like a film that was made in the 70s and has that kind of anger of of the time period and kind of the anti-establishment feelings that were happening, even if it's not such a bold in your face analogy, I'd certainly feel those things are coming through. It feels like it's got an edge of punk to it. Um, mm. Yeah. And danger. Well, especially Moss Eisley and, and everything you see there. I, I mean, it, it, it is the cliche now of a cantina scene, but it, it's so da, well da, done. Da, 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 da. It, yeah. It's, I, I feel it's been lightened over time, mm. made to be funnier. I mean, I think the great irony of, of, of Star Wars, this film in particular, is a lot of the stuff we're lamenting that they don't do anymore in films is a direct response to what happened with Star Wars. You know, you know, films now are largely there also to, uh, to well, at least these sort of films, to to sell merchandise, to, to promote the toy sales, to, to build the universe, to, to create that kind of all-encompassing ecosphere, which will include books and comics and TV shows and games and, and, and all of the rest. And, and not just be a film there to tell a story. And in one sense, I think that's a huge shame. Look, some of my favourite Star Wars stuff is yet to come that we haven't spoken about or, or we're not speaking about because it comes for TV stuff. I think Andor is, is an absolute marvel of, of modern television. But at the same time, I have to look back at this film and I'm wondering, 
would it have been better if this was a one and done? What would the cinematic landscape look like if we'd had this? And then George Lucas went off and did something else. I think he'd have probably been more productive over the years. Um, and I, I think that the, uh, the science fiction slash science fantasy scene would be very different. I completely agree with you. I think, I do not think we can comprehend what media, television, cinema landscape would look like if Star Wars had been a Star Wars singular film and then off to do other things. I don't think we can... I do not think we're able to comprehend what that could be purely because it's almost impossible. You know, Star Wars did have such an impact that people didn't see coming. I I think it's a real... I think Star Wars' impact on cinema and the way cinema is made and marketed and merchandising and the whole kind of culture is as much a change for the cinematic landscape as introducing colour was as introducing sound was and I know that sounds like a huge thing to say but cinema was never the same after Star Wars and you know notably never the same again Hmm. I I mean in in terms of a modern comparison in terms of of impact uh, the the one that comes to my mind is probably um, Avengers Endgame which is ironically Avengers Endgame comes at the end of a 23 film run uh, and it was the culmination of a decades of storytelling whereas I f- and I, I think Star Wars and Endgame uh, uh, have had huge impacts on on the um, what has come afterwards I, I would probably argue largely negatively in, in, in a sense of pure storytelling in, in a sense of using film as an art form to, to tell stories because everyone is chasing that high that um, we were uh, talking on another podcast about uh, Star Trek Beyond, which was the last Star Trek film which came out. And a reason we haven't had another Star Trek film since is it didn't make as much money as the Avengers films were making because those films made a billion pounds. And I, I think what we're seeing as well as Star Wars is so many other franchises and, and stories just haven't, well, haven't had a chance to breathe because they're not a Star Wars. And I think Star Wars has suffered as well because we'll get to it when we get to the sequel trilogy, they're chasing this. They're not telling new stories in that world. They're chasing what we have here, or more specifically, what we're going to get with this original trilogy. And I think you could easily say, compare it to the release of the iPhone. You know, bear with me. This this, this, is, this might make sense, might not. Um, you know, we have since, since Apple released the first iPhone in what, 2007? Something the, like that. The tech, mobile tech world has been chasing that high, chasing that that corner moment where everything after that has subsequently changed. You know, before that there was there was no set way of making a mobile phone, whatever, you know, it didn't have it wasn't all encompassing and everything. And that release of that iPhone, that little uh, black and silver box with a mirrored screen, completely revolutionized you know telecommunication and mass communication in that way but also the style and the visual look of everything you know every phone from every manufacturer essentially is the same silver black gray box with a big screen there's no variation anymore and i kind of think star wars did that for for cinema three decades earlier so another thing i think is worth uh, mentioning as well here is is the music obviously john williams is legendary uh, in terms of film composition now what, what i think is quite striking here is perhaps the most iconic bit of star wars music isn't in this film there's no imperial march here 
I was really surprised not to hear it in this. I don't know why I was surprised it wasn't. Like, I knew it wasn't in the original version, but I've never seen the original version because he didn't actually come up with that piece of music until... Is it Empire Strikes Back? Yeah, it's, it's Empire. Is, is it in um, the special edition? I can't. I don't recall. But... I'm sure it is. I'm sure... Or at least my kind of mandala effect uh, memory has has put it in there. Um, but yeah, that piece of music is so synonymous with Darth Vader. Um, it was really weird to for him not to have that audio. It was a bit like seeing Jaws without hearing the the, the shark music. I mean, just talking about Vader as well. Is, is, you know, we've already mentioned that his his mannerisms are, are slightly different, and, he, and he's a bit rougher around the edges. But I mean, you can see why people gravitate towards him. He's so much presence. Every scene he's in, you know, even if he's just standing to the side of Tarkin, your eyes constantly be drawn to the big black guy next to him. And I think what's really fascinating for me is how many times since this movie uh, or in TV, people have wanted to do big, faceless terrifying characters and how repeatedly they have had to remove their helmets uh, for for you know sales or for eye candy or whatever you know we we had the problem with um, the Judge Dredd movie uh, where he spends more time without the helmet on than with the helmet on and obviously in the Mandalorian there was a huge pushback about uh, leaving the helmet on and not taking it off um but it would never it never occurs to me in any of these original movies and certainly not in Star Wars that it matters what he's like underneath the helmet because they're all kind of faceless faceless evil um certainly with the as you say the more competent storm stormtroopers as well i mean obviously in this film there's there's no inclination or suggestion that uh vader is in any way related to to luke uh, or that well, that's luke is related no at this point I know. My question was, though, do you think it impacts this film? And I think this is just a wider thing. So, you know, we've got the revelation that Vader is Luke and Leia's father and that they're related. We later on have the revelation that Obi-Wan encountered Vader after the Clone Wars, you know, through the, um, the Obi-Wan series that... Um, Owen and Lars were much more proactive in defending Luke and, and not so ignorant of the realities of, of the world. W- what do you think about some of these um, retro retcons, effectively, where they've gone back to revisit this world? I think, for the most part, they are detrimental to this film. I think they take away, because even Rogue One, you know, Rogue One, we'll get to it, but, you know, ev- everyone loves that moment with Vader... Uh, fighting through the uh, through the ship to, to try and get to the plans there. But if you look at that and then you come to this, one is a, a basically a terrifying uh, movie monster coming towards you, an unstoppable force of nature. Here is a, a duelist almost. I, and, and this is another thing I wanted to just touch on. I'll, I'll get to it in a second. But um, yeah, I mean, what, what do you think about that, where they've gone back to... Uh, recontextualize stuff out of this film so i don't think this 1977 star wars film 
works in the wider canon anymore. I think it's only from the special editions onwards that you can say that's actually part of canon and those things connect together. At this point, it does not connect. They, it, this film does not work in that wider canon. Um, think of it like a, a alternate universe version of, of the same thing. So it's happening, but it's ever so slightly different. Um, but yeah, there was a couple of points where I was watching it and I was like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Now they've gone back and added other movies, prequels, sequels, etc. And I think the whole ancient Jedi Order thing, and they really pushed that whole ancient magic civilization thing that no longer exists. And, you know, actually now with the TV shows especially, we know lightsabers were wibbly waving around, you know, six weeks earlier, um, just down the road. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't make as much sense in that whole... It robs it of some of its mystique, doesn't it? It, it robs it of that sense of of, of an ancient order, of, of, of an ancient secret. And, and, and also this idea that Obi-Wan is, you know, the, the last of this order, where actually, no, you know, there's, there's like six Jedi per planet at this point. <laughs> yeah, Order 66 was a massive bodge job. Uh, mm. as far as I'm concerned but you know it, it does it does kind of hint to Order 66 a little bit in this I know it doesn't say the words or anything like that but it's definitely you know you know the killing of all that you know your father helped kill all the Jedi or whatever it was um, oh, you, you, you have Tarkin literally say you know their order is all but extinct to you my friend of the last of that religion and I like that as well they call it a religion because it is yeah it's a belief well, structure <laughs> okay side point you say calling things things we don't expect and we never hear you know the jedi's called religion again um the droids in this movie are called robots it's the only time they ever call droids robots in star wars but they do say it once well they we also call them cyborgs they do human and cyborg relations which has some very disturbing connotations if that is true okay so so right we're going to say this they try treat droids abysmally in this movie they are at best equivalent to harry potter house elves fuck jk rowling um but they're they're real kind of slaves you know that the r2 the other r2 unit that blows up and they're like oh no go pick the blue one instead like that that died that robot died in front of that droid died in front of us and you think now we have such connection to to all the robots and things sorry not robots droids um you know future on and you know k2so and bd1 and bb8 and all the others you know you can't imagine you know they become members of people's family and you know real integral characters but in this they're kind of just MacGuffins to get you from point a to point b um and they're they're treated they are just treated really badly and C-3PO shuts himself down at one point. He's like, if you don't mind, I'm going to go into power save. Boop. Yep. And it's like, oh. <laughs> kind right, of standby okay. mode. <laughs> yep. And it was like, oh, wow, I guess he's not in the rest of this shot then. And just you cannot imagine the, the C-3PO of, of the later films or the prequels having that attitude at all. Um, yeah, I, I was just, I think I was quite shocked at how the droids are, are treated all the way across this movie which is definitely something they've changed when i assume they realized how marketable the uh, the droids were and how much kids loved them i, I'm I sure don't know that they have I, I don't know that they have changed it and and it's it's a long term at some point i'm going to do a derelict episode just talking about the ethics of droids in star wars because oh, let me tricky, tell you tricky. 
it's pretty horrifying. Uh, you know, it, it, it's the old joke of why was I programmed to feel pain? I mean, in Return of the Jedi, we literally see a droid being tortured. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, but we, we will save that for an, uh, another day. Uh, I wanted to touch upon the lightsaber fight between Obi-Wan and... That was shit, um, wasn't it? <laughs> no, you say that it's shit. The thing is here, right? It feels like they're trying to hit each other. The problem with all the lightsaber fights that we've had since Duel of the Fates in um, The Phantom Menace... Twirly, twirly, lighty sticks! Well, no, the thing is, right, and I'm going to ruin lightsaber fights for all of you from now on, so I apologise, but once you spot this, you can't unspot it, yeah? They're not trying to hit the person, they're trying to hit the lightsaber. I assume because they really like the cool noise it makes, and it is a cool noise. No, it's cool noise, but it's for the choreography's sake. They're, they're doing this. You know, when you see these really intricate choreo- you know, choreographed fights, uh, especially what you see with Hayden Christensen um, in, in the, um, the prequel films, though, what they're doing, uh, we see this with Ray Park as well, they're not trying to, you know, Obi-Wan is not trying to hit Darth Maul. Qui-Gon's not trying to hit Darth Maul. They're both trying to hit his lightsaber because it means you can have a much more energetic and dynamic fight. What you have here is a fight between two duelists. This is like between two knights, effectively, who are trying to kill each other. Yeah, more or less. They're trying to land hits. The lightsabers look heavy in this. I mean, I know they were heavy, but they look and feel like they're heavy. You know, they're two-handed. It definitely feels like a clunky fight. Um but yeah, they are they are clearly trying to hit each other rather than than twirly lightsaber move number sixty seven, twirly twiddly twirl. Um, I mean, the, the the best lightsaber fight in all of Star Wars is yet to come. It's in the next film. Spoiler alert. But I, I think it, it, this just highlighted to me once again, going from watching you know these very energetic kind of lightsaber fights with all the um, whizzy bangy jumping, you know, all, all the stuff we've seen throughout the Clone Wars. It's spectacular. It's visually spectacular. And also in, in Obi-Wan, when we see uh, Obi-Wan and Vader fight uh, with all the glowing lights, it, look, it, it looks very, very impressive. But here it feels real. And, and it may not be the most um, visually impressive sequence, but it does feel like they're trying to hit each other. It does feel like they're trying to hit each other. And I don't know what the reaction was at the time, but I think it was quite a shock that Obi-Wan lost Obviously, that was, you know, but it certainly wasn't, you know, this is kind of the end of the second act uh, fight. You know, all right, the heroes don't often win the second act fight because they have to go on and, and beat them in the end of the third act. But it was quite a um, quite a surprise, I think, at the time, or, or that's my assumption that, you know, he, he dies, especially as we saw a lightsaber uh, striking someone previously, it just cut off their arm. And this time it disintegrated him or or what you know there's no explanation as to why obi-wan completely disappears in in not even dust he just apparates mm. yeah well, he's but there guess, on a moment and then he's gone <laughs> but i guess again you're you're they push much harder with the kind of spooky mystic religion and it, you know you kind of forgive it because it's like oh well spooky mystic space religion guess it's okay but yeah, the, the the lightsaber fight didn't suck, but it's very slow. And a lot of that is down to camera work as much as anything else. You know, we're talking 1970s. Well, the technology too as well, you know, that they, 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 they have, they, it, it, it was a spinning uh, tube in the end of the, um, the lightsaber handle, which they, they could then effectively rotoscope over the top of it. And 
that's difficult to do. <laughs> and there are definitely times when it's not done very well. You know, this was only a mid-budget movie. This was an eleven million pound movie at the time. You know, that is that is not a huge amount of money to make something with this much. Uh, costume, special effects, practical effects, something well, of you're this You're inventing a lot of a technology as well, aren't you? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, again, we wouldn't have cinema as it is now without it, but it's certainly, um, certainly budget, you know, which is weird to say that Star Wars was on a budget, but it clearly was. Um, and, yeah. Um, something else that struck me uh, through this is Luke really doesn't seem that fucked that his entire world has been tipped on its head and his aunt and uncle are dead. He was like, no. Well, it, it, it's, it's, it's off for, to space I go. It, it's for call to adventure, isn't it? That's, that's, that's what all young uh, protagonists want to do. They're, they're just I waiting mean, for the moment they're... where the old wizard shows up and says, come join me, Luke, on an adventure. <laughs> but, you know, there was, there was a real... Um, as a kid, I was terrified of the skeletons of uh, the two skeletons outside um, the farm. Just to be clear, there's no way that's Baru and um, Lars after what we saw in Obi-Wan. Okay, so that is clearly they killed a couple of stormtroopers, left their bodies and thought, great, we can finally get away from this kid. I mean, that's that's true in in the in the retroactive version that we have now. But at the time, yes. it was very clearly them. You know, this. Oh, yeah. this <laughs> um, but, you know. We never see we never see death quite like that again in Star Wars. That's a real kind of, hmm? you know, we never see those kind of burnt husk, <laughs> nasty skeletons. You know, that's a real. But that comes just... back to what we. It comes back to what we were saying earlier. Is is about that this there's a visceral element to this film that that's lacking. You know, there's there's a sense of there's a sense of danger that I don't think you get in 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 the later ones. But that's part of fantasy and and all that era of storytelling it, it's it's less sanitized isn't it mm. i also was shocked at how young luke is how how young he is acting you know if you told me that luke was was meant to be 15 in this i'd go yeah that makes sense like i know, think he Aw. is though I, I, so so he's talking about going and joining the academy and, and if we assume that that's like you know going off to join the um the air force or something along those lines he'd probably be about 17 18 you know i i think between 16 and 18 is kind of the age range he's supposed to be uh mark hamill at this time was about 23 24 i think when they filmed it so you know th there's a bit of a gap there but he he I, I think he is meant to be a lot younger than we have presumed him to be later on i'm not gonna lie i have just googled it because i want to know so he's he's meant to be about 18 and retroactively we know with episode three he'd be 19 but he just comes across as much younger than that and or he looks much older than he he's playing which again was was really common for the time they wouldn't have necessarily put much much effort into that um and you know by by the end of return of the jedi he's only 23 and he just he just feels much younger like in his attitudes than other kind of young people. And I think it's really weird that Leia is supposed to be the same age as him. And she's like, yes, I'm a, I'm a diplomatic princess. I'm off doing espionage, all these things. And he's like, ah, I want to go fly a ship. Wah! Well, that's like, nature versus nurture for you, isn't it? <laughs> well, well, yeah, that's, that's a different one. But yeah, it's, I, I, it was one of those things, that, again, I, I was quite struck by how, you know, we have this, the, the the sequels Luke is very um poised and 
a Jedi and is very just Mark Hamill. Uh, but Luke in this is like, ah, oh, I want to go to Tar Station. No, not until your chores are done. And it's just like, really? Owen wants him to do chores first? Okay. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to it in for fullness of time. But here's the thing. If you're saying at the end of uh, Return of a Jedi, Luke is under 25, and by the time we get to the sequel trilogy, he's in his 50s, how many of us can look back at who we were when we were 25 and say we were the same person? Depends how far away you are from 25, I guess. <laughs> So anyway, um. <laughs> um, but yes, I think it's a. Uh, uh, it, it was just one of those things again that kind of like, oh okay, uh, that was a uh, something I was not 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 expecting, or just something that that struck me as a as a strange, uh, a strange point is you know again they were clearly not designed to be twins at this point in time. Um, I'm not even convinced they were twins until the prequels came out. Were they? No, they, they well, they, they were twin sisters You're my from sister. Em- they were em- twin Empire. sisters from Empire onwards. Um, here, here's the thing that I found watching this again, though: nothing in this version of the film took me out of it. I, I, I didn't at any point stop and go, "Oh, that looks like a set," or "That doesn't look right." That you know, what have you? I, I bought into the world pretty much fully. Whereas I know when I've watched the special editions, and it might just be because you're seeing something different to what you're familiar with. I always noticed when they dropped new bits in because it took me out of that moment. Even the shots when they're going into the um, to fight the Death Star and, you know, they're not as dynamic as later ones. N- nothing in this film took me out of it. If, if anything, I was even more awe when you get to moments like the sand crawler and you have the giant tank treads there and, and, and things come down. It, it, it really keeps you in, in the film the entirety of, of it. I found that. I think I found it probably less, again, because I grew up with the specialised editions rather than the, the originals. So I found it... It was it was like putting on your favourite pair of shoes, but they were slightly different. I don't know how to explain it any other way. It was like, <laughs> I recognise all of this, but there are bits that are not quite the same. But I can't tell you... I couldn't pinpoint... I mean, I knew there were, like, you know, the, the, the stuff that's been rotoscoped on top and stuff, but I couldn't... I couldn't pinpoint, oh, it's that exact. I didn't notice when I was watching it that, oh, well, that bit's missing or that bit's been added later or whatever. I don't know how to explain that in any other way. I've totally fucked up trying to explain that. So, <laughs> Any <laughs> thoughts about uh, Han Solo and, and Chewbacca, our, our rogues in the uh, adventure? Look, they're space pirates, aren't they? They're, they're Again, going back to the, the very much it was a Western. It felt like a Western um, and they were... You know the the companyless mercenaries, you know, swashbuckling in to save the day, and they and they do kind of do that as well. You know, they're in it for the money, hardened in it for the money, you know, and then they come back good in the end. It's a really well worn trope. It was well worn in in westerns at that time. Um, I mean, the thing is though, he's not meant to be virtuous, is he? He's supposed to be a bit dangerous. There's got to be a sense of menace to him. Um, well, he doesn't uh, even come across as a, a kind of a, a, you know, an anti-hero or anything like that, which I know is how he's then kind of portrayed a bit more later. He's he's a mercenary. There's, mm-hmm. you know, you're right. There's no, there's no kind of oh well, it's okay because he's good underneath. He's in it for the money, mm-hmm. and and he's not shy about saying it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, 
yeah, I, Han Solo's never been my favourite character. He's never going to be my favourite character. Um, but he certainly... He is what he's supposed to be in this film, which I think I appreciated. You know, he was... You know, a, 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 an entry late into the first act, early in the second act, smuggler. He, he, he's there to do what he does. He has a very... He, he fills that trope. He fills that space in the script. I sent you a cartoon last night, which which I think kind of sums it up. Where you have Darth Vader going, he has his daughter, his son, Obi Wan Kenobi back from the dead, his astromech, his protocol droid, a Wookiee who saved Ahsoka at one time, and some bloke in a vest. <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. You are. So, okay. Question for you: When you watched this as a child, which character did, was your? Who was your character? Like, yeah, that's me. Ah. Uh, I don't know if I ever projected myself into any of the characters, but in, in terms of the ones that I was most interested in, it was probably it was probably a Luke slash Han, you know, a, a, a somewhere between the two, just because you know, target audience that's that's who's kind of aimed at uh, there. In, in terms of the characters that kind of stayed with me retroactively after the fact, uh, in terms of many in fact, it's probably Vader. But a lot of that's just down to his portrayal in Empire Strikes Back, which we'll get to in the fullness of time. What about you? I mean, I have the choice of Aunt Peru or Leia, so um guess it's Leia. You could have got, you could have chosen R2. <laughs> I, I, I do, I, I want to say though, I really do respect the dynamic between 3PO and R2. It's so well done, especially when you know, effectively, Artu's mute. You know, we, we don't understand what he's saying outside of Streepio's reactions to him and, and and whatever beeps he's doing it. But there's so much personality coming out of him. It, it's a testament to the performance there from the puppeteers, uh, Kenny Baker, and and the people at ILM that made him. And and also with Streepio, to this day, one of the best and most convincing robots. You know, droids, whatever you want to call it. You know, I, I still you can you just can't see the joins. You know. <laughs> absolutely and uh, back to your original question um i probably would have been the same some kind of luke han hybrid uh, based on the fact that you know there's not a huge amount of female representation um but actually as i got older um not necessarily the the impact of the of the sequels um although definitely empire had a big effect and Return of the Jedi. It was always Leia, you know. She she is a self rescuing princess. She doesn't wait for someone else to to save. I know she does technically get saved in this movie, but you know she was she was a badass. She was you know political espionage and hiding stuff and stealing stuff and had a gun. You know, there's. But really, it was Aunt Peru and the milk. Oh God, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, definitely, uh, but uh, definitely that's that's more for me in Empire and Return of the Jedi because she she has more to do. Um, you know, she very much fulfills the the princess. Other although she self rescues and she does a lot, she is very much a damsel that they go and save um, after she calls the wise wizard for help. Um, well, the thing is, though, I, I I don't really think she is fleshed out as a character until Empire and Jedi. In here, she is. She, she, she's the uh, the thing that they're going to rescue. She's the one, and, and you're right. She doesn't need rescuing, and she is a strong character in herself. But I don't think in this film she has given as much. Um, what's the one I'm looking for? Agency as she gets in the later films. 
Well, she she kicks off the story. Her agency is the fact that she's the one that calls for help me, Obi Wan. You're my only hope. Um, you know, she she sets off the 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 line of events but yeah she what can she do she's already captured by the time we we see her she's defiant which is excellent and when they do break her out she is as much of the rescuers that you know she is not dragged along being rescued in some carry on i, 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 I love that she doesn't she, she, she doesn't swoon for han and go oh my hero sort of thing uh does does utter the the um what, what you never know, like things you can say in star wars and also during sex you came in that thing you're braver than i thought you know i just love that sense of um <laughs> she's not taking any shit from anyone no so i think but I think it's only as I am older that I can really appreciate that as a character. I think as a kid, she was very much not, certainly in A New Hope, not. I think a lot of it comes down to costume as well. Well, there is no underwear in space. That is true. Uh, there, there is, however, tape. But what I'm saying is I feel that her costume doesn't lend to her being something people tend to gravitate to. She's wearing robes. A gown, a terrible hair. white robes at that. Yeah, uh, and I, and I think you know she looks a lot better in uh, Empire when she's wearing effectively what the same as what the rest of the Rebel troopers are doing. You know, practical clothes. She is there. That, that's where we, we're seeing the beginnings of General Organa over Princess Organa. I would agree completely. And uh, something that I do think worked, uh, one of the retroactive ads, is when she calls Obi-Wan for hope. You know, having the Obi-Wan series where they do have that adventure together, that makes so much more sense. You know, that to me, that tied in really nicely. Um, it ties in nicely, but I, I don't think it needed to be there. I, 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 think... I don't think it needed to be there, but no, no. it was there and it worked. Oh, look, it was. And, and look, however you cut it, whatever your thoughts about Obi-Wan, set, you know, you have a finite amount of time between the end of um, Revenge of the Sith and the beginning of A New Hope. And, and every time you dip into that world, especially with existing characters, you're in a situation where you're you're robbing from something because you're, you're pulling some of the, uh, the mystery, some of, some of the secrecy, some, some of that untold backstory, which lets you kind of flesh it out. You're, 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 you're stealing that. Uh, and I think that was um, a bit of its detriment. And, and look, you're right. Obi-Wan was a much better show for having it between Obi-Wan and Leia. But Obi-Wan as a show probably shouldn't have been what it was. Obi-Wan as a show should have been left and made after the pandemic and not tried to shove it in production in a void where they could only have three people on stage at a time is a big issue with it. I'm salty about it because <laughs> I love you and McGregor and love Obi-Wan and the story that they told could have been really good and it just missed it. Just It was just not quite... Not quite right. Anyway, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. I know, we're not talking about that. So, final thoughts then, I guess, on A New Hope, because otherwise we run the risk of talking for longer than A New Hope actually has a runtime for. Because it's a relatively short film again. It's, well, I know it's two hours, but with all the credits and everything else, actually, you could easily say it's an hour 45. No, I think it's it's two hours. And I was actually shocked at that. I, I It feels shorter than it is. And I think that's to its benefit. I, I think it, this is definitely a case where, at the end of it, I, I was thinking, was that ninety minutes or something like that? But no, it's two hours, and and I think that is just down to it's 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 pacey. It doesn't. Sorry, 
it's packed. It's a packed film. The lot yeah, happens. It's, it's, it's packed, but it doesn't get hung up on a lot of exposition and, you know, setting things up for later stuff. It's just, okay, we're in a story. Go, move, 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 move. Go, 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 go. Down and out. We're out. You know, there's, there's none of this. Okay, well, we're going to set up this uh, these trade negotiations where we can uh, have a couple of meetings. And now uh, we've got we've got to establish the geopolitics of the galaxy here to make sure everyone's you know on the, on the same page. No, it's just good guys, bad guys. Go. It doesn't have to be overly complicated. And I think because of that, it just goes along at a clip. Agreed. I was when I saw it was two hours. I was like, "Oh, really? This two hours?" It was all killer, no filler, though. I felt for those two hours. I think it took a little while to get going until I think there's there's a great opening sequence on the on the the Imperial ship. Uh, I think it. The only dip I can find is when you're kind of with the droids walking around before they get taken before you get into Luke. I think it doesn't. I think there's that kind of little section before Luke gets to Obi Wan where it. In, in modern terms, we'd probably make that snappier, but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel slow for the film that you're watching. No, uh, and and you know clearly it leaves you it leaves you perhaps wanting more and and being interested in exploring that galaxy. But I had no, I need to see the next one now at the end of it. I, when, when we finished it, you have the medal ceremony, uh, and it's like okay, end of a film. You know, Darth Vader is still out there spinning off in his um his well, his not tie in this fighter. version. He's not. Does he not spin off in this? Oh, he's, no, sorry. No, he, he does. does. Sorry, he does. Yeah, it wasn't... It, sorry. The, the, the boring thing about that is George Lucas added that, like, just before it went to print to send to, to cinemas. Yeah. It was not originally in there, but he wanted it in there because he wanted to leave space for a sequel. And obviously at the point this was made, sequels were... were like or not direct of VHS because they didn't have that, but they were they were they were money they were kid kiddie money grabs they weren't serious cinema. But it, but even, even aside from that though, I I think it, it is fine leaving that question open for the suggestion that these stories will continue because I don't think you know again with the Flash Gordon serials you don't necessarily have to know what happens in the next one you can go and pick up a story later on. I mean, what might have been really interesting uh, as as a thought experiment is if you went from this story so a new hope to something if you went from this to the last jedi and everything that happened between had happened in between but that's just you know you've kind of picked up from one story to the next story i think that's kind of in the spirit of what the um what lucas was trying to do with those seals uh you know also like the john carter of mars sort of thing It, it is this fantasy story where it's all set in a single world but it's not necessarily one where you have to follow along the entire thing to be able to enjoy the thing you're watching. And I think what's become with Star Wars now, and I think this is by design, it's the same thing that happens with Marvel, is there's a sense that you have to watch all of it to appreciate the thing you're currently watching. Because otherwise, who is this person? What are they doing there? I don't understand all this. Whereas this is just, you can drop straight in, two hours, done and out. I could not agree more. It's it's a tight, concise story. And, you know, mad props for doing that in this brand new sci-fi world with brand new technologies. It's not, you know, you could imagine this kind of tight story in a Western setting or, or, a, or a war setting where people have that wider context. You have no wider context. It even says a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It already sets you up from that intro, that, that opening moment that you have no idea of anything about this. Nothing you know is true here. Yeah. But, and it also 
as we've said before, it sets itself up as, as a fantasy. It is a fairy tale. It's not supposed to be taken to... It, it, it doesn't matter how the Death Star works. It doesn't matter about how big Imperial Starfleet is. It's a fairy tale. No one looks at fucking Hansel and Gretel and asks about the, um, the legal ramifications of going and leaving your kids out in the fucking forest, you know? And, and I think, once again, that's perhaps something that... Look, I run a podcast where we talk about this stuff. It's a lot of fun. But people are taking it far too seriously to the point where they built their entire personalities over breaking down and examining Star Wars to an insane degree when it, it was never meant to be that. It's meant to just be a fun fairy tale. Wow, this is a hopeful movie. It is, isn't it? <laughs> and like, it's such a positive note, yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is a real... The good guys win, but it's not contrite. The good guys win. And it just for me, it was the overwhelming feeling of hopefulness through the whole film. You know, her plea at the start is hopeful. You know, she's not begging on the floor crying. She's not, you know, being kidnapped behind it. You know, it's it, it's quite a, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Um, and just the hopefulness of Luke wanting to go do more and be more and then... You know, it, it is it is it is a it is a hero's journey to the core, but just its hopefulness. And I don't think I don't think I've watched a film in a long time that has this amount of hopefulness baked into it, or that's kind of it exudes hope as a as a film. And I guess you know it was retroactively called A New Hope, and you know that title is bang on. Mm-hmm. It is. It's very much a case that they won the battle, but not for war. But you know, as you say, there is hope. They but have a war chance films going were forward. Built like that, you know, yeah. that was that was, and a lot of Western films, you know, where they were doing the the trail from east to west, or and you know, they had to defeat the uh, the culturally insensitive and inappropriate natives. You know, that was that was it's it was you know we've won we've won this little tiny bit we've you know we've secured that trench or this field in in the somme but you know the bigger war is still going on but it didn't lose that it it, it was not an unhopeful ending and i'm not sure we could make that film now i'm not sure no. if we made a war film now it would end in that hopeful way in fact modern war films have not ended in that hopeful way you think dunkirk or 1917 none of them have that hopeful feeling to them and i think it's fair to say science fiction hasn't either you know avatar certainly doesn't have a hugely hopeful ending oh, I, I mean here's one uh, fairly recent and one which we will be visiting rogue one kind of ends on a hopeful ending <laughs> fucking love rogue one yeah but we'll get to that in the fullness we of will, time we will <laughs> i i actually would love to go and watch Rogue One. I would Rogue love one. Rogue One. Rogue One. I haven't even been to the dentist yet. Um, I would love to go and watch Rogue One right now to see how those two movies sit together. But, however, that is not what we are doing. For no. we will be back tomorrow where we are watching what? Or we will have watched what? Well, tomorrow we are going to be watching The Empire Strikes Back. So, uh, once again, we will be watching. classics. Well, it, 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 it's, it's my favourite of classics as well, but I'm going to be interested in going back and revisiting it straight after uh, Star Wars to, to see how it measures up and also with the weight of what is yet to come because I think a lot of what I don't like about Star Wars now starts here. 
the commercialization and canonization of storytelling what what i think what happens here is it starts taking itself seriously and i think that is what has led to to star wars being what it is now i've i've not watched empire strikes back in probably close to 20 years so oh, i am wow. look i'm looking forward to uh to diving into it and and and, and seeing what i make of it but yeah uh it, it's 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 been a while since i've have uh, gone back to Empire. I remember it always being my favourite film, and I still maintain it probably has the best lightsaber fight in it. The fight between, I say fight, the, the, the sequence between Vader and and Luke. That whole thing on Cloud City is just mwah, chef's kiss, perfect. But it's been a while, so I'm I'm looking forward to diving back into that. Uh, we're going to watch the despecialized editions um, now. There's a lot less tweet in the remaining films. So if you just want to watch along on um, Disney, you're not really missing out a huge amount here. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow. I'm guessing same bat time, same bat channel to talk about The Empire Strikes Back. But no, you can find us in the same place tomorrow. And if you're actually some future time traveller and you are listening in the future, then it's going to be really weird that these are very Christmassy. Uh, but, you know, that's what happens with Christmas specials is you watch them again in July and you're like, oh, yeah, it's really Christmassy. Bit weird. OK, so we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, and I think it just leaves us uh, to stand awkwardly at the front of this hall with a load of cardboard cutouts of rebel soldiers being given these very nice gold medals. Except for you, Rachel, for some reason you're not getting a gold medal. But perhaps Aww. several... Several films down the line, for no reason whatsoever, someone might give you one because nerds of the internet demand it. So, uh, so get anyway. one at the MTV Music Awards? Yes! Quite, quite possibly. <laughs> oh, does Karen Fisher get to give it to me? Because, uh, do you know what? I'll take it if that's the case. I have some very bad news for you there, but uh, we should probably stop talking now and let people go back to... Uh, go, go and see your families. I, I, in fact, Doctor Who's probably on by now, so go watch Doctor Who, and we'll be back tomorrow to talk about Empire Strikes Back. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>